right. This is episode number 80. Unbelievably. Like, you all, episode number 80. I cannot believe that this is 80 episodes that that we've that I've done at this point. And what a better guest than I'm gonna have on today. Um, not just your typical guest. I would I would consider at this point a friend, a great friend of mine, but before we get to the guest, I have to remind you of all of the amazing things that are happening um, in the in the next couple months. Actually, in the next week, but also in the next few months, because um, some pretty awesome things are going on. And like, I am so excited uh, for this coming weekend and next week. There is a text chain happening right now with like 14 people that are all going to be gathering at the Attachment and Trauma Network uh, conference in Houston this next week. You all have probably, if you've listened to the podcast, you've absolutely heard me talk about it multiple times. This is the sixth annual conference from the ATN. It's 19th through the 25th. It's in Houston as well as online. Um, But it is the largest gathering of trauma-informed educators in North America and potentially even the world. Um, I just found out, I know there's going to be some international folks there, so it's going to be cool to get perspectives of people from around the globe. Um, And of course, um, tonight's guest is going to be one of the keynote speakers, Dr. Lori Desitels, but we also are going to have Jim Sporleader is going to be in there. For those that you don't know, he is now nicknamed officially the godfather of trauma-informed education. So if you see him, just uh, just refer to him as the godfather. He'll know what you're talking about. Joe Brummer, Melissa Saden, James Moffitt, and so many other people are going to be there. Um, I will be there as well. And my, um, my co-presenter, Laura Kane, who was once a guest on here and a previous colleague of mine, will be presenting about community uh, the importance of community in this work, and I mean outside of the school community, and how that we have to look at the socio-ecological model and how we can impact more than what we give ourselves credit for. So if you want to register for the ATN conference, you would go to www.attachmenttraumanetwork.com/conference. And if you happen to be on on live right now, you will find that in the comments. So you can find that link in the comments if you want to go ahead and register then i have to say i'm pretty excited um that this is the fourth annual trauma-informed educators network conference and this year it's virtual um i will tell you why we knew that we had a we have a large participation of international educators and practitioners and we did not want to leave them out um and so that was one reason. The other reason, Nashville, the cost of venues is ridiculous. So, um, but we wanted to we want to make it every other year. Every other year, it's going to be virtual uh, and in person. But that is June twenty second to twenty third. Right now, you can register um, and get thirty dollars off the registration um, now until March first. It's only one hundred and sixty nine dollars for two days. We will be recording all sessions, and you will have access to all sessions and all keynotes which if you calculate is about 35 to 40 hours at least no more than that yeah about 40 hours um a professional learning that you can engage with um from the trauma-informed educators network conference so um and then lastly i usually say this at the end but i'm going to say it at the beginning 
if you listen to this podcast, you've learned something, you appreciate it, you, um, you know, you just, it's just something you listen to on your drive, give us a review. Go to your platform that you listen to, if it's iTunes or Apple uh, Podcasts, if it's Google Podcasts, if it's Spotify, wherever you listen, and just give us a review. What I've learned is the more reviews we have, the higher we get up on lists, the more people that um, listen, and the more impact it can have. And I was telling tonight's guest, I don't make a dollar off of this podcast. I don't make any money. I do this strictly because, uh, one, it inspires me, and I hope that it also inspires other people. So the more people we can get to listen, uh, the greater the impact we can have. So without any further ado, I cannot wait uh, for this conversation tonight. This amazing guest of mine, um, we... I got to uh, go to Indianapolis and speak at where she is a uh, is a professor at Butler University. We also got a amazing uh, opportunity to both speak at a conference in Australia. She was the one who said, have you gone to the uh, koala sanctuary yet? And I said, nope, but I'm going in the morning. And I actually got to hold a koala as well as she did. Um, so welcome, Dr. Destel. I am so excited for this conversation. Last week was Dr. Mona Delahook, which I know she wrote an amazing uh, write-up for your first book. And now I get to talk to you. This is this is just almost too much for me to handle. So welcome and how are you? And tell us tell us the Dr. Nestel story since you've been on here last time. Oh, Matthew, it's so good to be here. And I was so excited. I am excited about tonight. I actually, I told you this, I took notes. Um, and it was interesting. I didn't pull from the new book tonight, I really pulled from the notes that created the new book. So um, I, I just am excited tonight to talk about really, you know, not only what a trauma is and, and you know, how it's manifesting in the behaviors that we're seeing in our schools and homes and communities, but tonight's kind of the now what, you know, where do we go from there? And I think that's what intentional neuroplasticity is really about. It's kind of moving from states of protection into states of growth for our teachers and for our children and for families. And I will tell you, if you do not have, um, whoops, that's that's your other book. What did I do with the other one? I just had it, didn't I? Oh, here it is. If you, if well, let's talk about this one. If you do not have connections over compliance, you might as well like do, do the both at the same time and get both of them. Um, I was able to to pre-read both of these and um, I walked away going, oh my goodness, like how can I continue to just learn so much um, from Lori? And it comes down to you're a practitioner, you're an educator, you are in actually in schools every week doing practices, impacting lives of kids and, and adults, not theoretically, but you're actually going into schools every week. So tell me about that. Tell me about that experience and how, how it played out, especially as you wrote your new book. Well, I feel very grateful that for the past three years, I've been in the schools during this pandemic. And I have, and you know this, Matthew, I, you can't describe there, you know, it's words don't teach, experiences teach. And I am, I just, as hard as it's been, um, unless you have been in a school consistently and you have been in classrooms, there really are no words for how challenging this has, this has been for educators and for our students. So I, I wanna say tonight that um, 
I want to give grace and I want our teachers to feel that, embody that grace that they have um, experienced because the fatigue, um, just the absolute exhaustion, the emotional hijack is for real. And, and it's not going away anytime soon, but there is hope. And that's what we'll talk about tonight. But I wanna acknowledge and validate um, our teachers and administrators and educators across this globe. And, and it's important because a lot of times we do talk about the hard things, right? But we all have to be honest with ourselves. What is happening now is not okay, right? It's not okay. The structures that have been in place for educators, it's not okay. The practices that we've archaically and consistently used over a long period of time, these practices are no longer serving um, what we are hoping to get outcomes of students. And I think you and I, we've talked before, and I know a lot of the listeners, we've talked about this idea of just, I just wanted to get back to normal, right? And I think we can all stand in a space now to say, there is no normal. It, that that normal didn't exist for a lot of kids, but that going back to status quo has now become very apparent that what we've always done, we cannot continue to do, which is some of the things that you have been talking about in, in your writing. Um, but before we get to that, I want to let's talk about because you talked about, man, I took some notes about how I got to how I got to the new book. Let's talk me through that process of, you know, how did you come up with the three pillars that you did in the book? And, and, and just tell me about how you got through the process. Well, Connections Over Compliance was, if I look at that book as part one, and I think of intentional neuroplasticity as a continuation of connections, but more of a systemic, through a systemic lens. And my work in the schools, even this week, Matthew, I told you this before we went on air, it was Valentine's Day, what, two days ago, and I walked into advisory in down hallway B, and Crystal, my brilliant co-teacher, was dysregulated. All the kids were just crazy, dysregulated. And I had an agenda. Like, I had, I had these incredible practices and plans for them, and... I just stopped and I looked around and I thought, Lori, you've got to drop this agenda because that's not, it's not going to work this afternoon. And so I, in my, in my nervous system, I could feel the tension. I could feel my heart beating fast. I could feel um, defensive, protective. And then I just took a deep breath. I really actually took a deep breath. And then I started walking from desk to desk and really interacting with the students. So when we talk, something I wanted to share tonight is what we call trauma logic or a survival drive. And I think that as I worked with schools across the country this past year in the world, um, when we feel overwhelmed in the nervous system, there is an automaticity to kind of that trauma logic. It's like, it's like we revert back into autopilot and we then protect and defend our body contracts. We, you know, we feel um, constricted and we, we, we revert back into ways of possibly trying to gain more control or power over. And I get that. Um, but the awareness of our nervous systems is 
the hope. It's not always being regulated. And that's what I'm seeing. And that's what, that's where the, the, this, we plant these seeds of hope is just to be aware. That's all I am asking of myself. And that's all I'm asking of educators and parents at this point. So when you're aware of your nervous system, then you can begin to install the resources, the anchors that you know feel comforting or steadying. And actually, Matthew, I'm tired of the word calm. Um, it's I, I don't you, I try not to use that word anymore because it's not realistic. I like the word steady. And um, and so when I talk about installing resources, it's really getting out in front of these negative behaviors, you know, and that's something that that's the, one of the radical changes of this trauma informed work is is and it happens through our procedures and through the way we begin the first 10 minutes of a class period or five minutes or how we begin a morning or end a morning or transition. So it's like giving our kids these practices that they use every day so that they're accessible on horrible, in horrible moments, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it makes great sense. Um, you know, our, our mutual friend Guy Stevens uh, emailed me this morning and he, he asked me some a question and he said, how do you describe like this work, right? And one of the things I said was, this work is about how I respond, how I respond, not about how kids are behaving. And and I, that's what I learned as a principal. It was about my response, right? Kids are always going to have dysregulated selves. So am I. But it's I have to work on me to get myself to be able to step in a situation or be aware enough to go, I have to step out of the situation. I'm not helping, right? And, and I also think that what you just said is so powerful because this this idea of trauma logic is, is something that we have it, it needs to be common knowledge right across mm-hmm. our field and not just for the kids but for ourselves and, and i keep going back to thinking about what you said about building regulation and and giving opportunity of co-regulation when you start class it's mm-hmm. why we used um be well in school which was an organization here in nashville and it, we had a be well room where kids could self-refer and then we had be well time. And what we learned, Lori, was that we had a be well room where kids would go and they would learn the strategies, right? Which was great. But they weren't connecting that to their experience in the classroom. So what did we do? We moved it to the classroom, very similar to what you do, right? Those strategies, not just for the students, but also for the adults. I would sit in those, right? Because I'm like, that's a good strategy. Um, and, and that is so important. And, and I do want to validate, right? It's not all about just teaching kids the strategies and adults co-regulating. We have to look at systems change as well, because there's so much pressure coming down from systems that a lot of it can't be self-regulation, right? It can't be co-regulation. It has to be system change. And I think that's something that you, you, you're passionate about. And so am I, is this idea of systemic radical changes. What are some of those ideas of, of these systemic radical changes that you see need to happen? Um, and, and I think even what you just said is a systematic radical change, right? The practices Absolutely. that we use was a systematic radical change. But talk about that more and deeply. Well, so, I, you know, I really feel, you know, when I, when I talk about trauma logic, it's, it's the way our 
students and, and many of us adults as well, it's how we um, kind of react to these implicit memories. These are fragments that live in the body. And so, you know, a sound, a taste, the look on someone's face, the way someone postures, the way they, they gesture, um, you know, it just, there are so many, uh, what we are trying to move away from the word triggers and use the word activators that we misunderstand because we're only looking at the behavior. And, you know, this is not about being a therapist. I want to assure teachers, these are therapeutic moments, and this is a big shift. Um, therapeutic moments we call touch points. And it's really understanding that, um, you know, we've got to work with these memory fragments and help our students to recognize, when does your heart beat fast? When do you feel hot? You know, and kids know this because they are in touch with their bodies. No one ever asks. And, and so, you know, they can recognize when they're numb or cold or when they are um, stuck or feel flat or jittery. So that's one of the radical changes. The other few that I'd love to mention tonight um, is, is this emphasis on the adult nervous system. You know, behavior management is about me. It's about me as a mom. It's about me as an educator. And that's a big shift. Um, you know, it is, it is really my ability to share my nervous system with a child who needs a little bit of steadiness or centeredness, or I can unintentionally escalate a child. And, and so, and I don't, you know, that there's no shame or blame here. It's just a new really paradigm shift, Matthew, um, in, 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 in your work. You know, this is really looking at what is underneath the behavior and leading into the physiology of that child. And all that is, is and that teacher, you know, I, I want to say it's not just about what we do to kids. It's really about how I can be reflective um, and, and, and really take a step back and model the behaviors that you know I want to see by recognizing um, how I'm experiencing my own nervous system. And and when I read when I read um, connection over compliance, it really it really did bring home so many of the power struggles that I got into, even with my own child. And he's twelve. Sometimes I find myself getting right back into the power struggle. Um, my wife, being an engineer, she definitely gets into those power struggles more often than I do. And I just always say. That's not worth it. It's just not worth it, right? Let's. But anyway, it's power struggle, right? I want you to do this when I want you to do it. And I think what you said at the beginning is that agenda. I have this to do. This has to get done. And you're preventing me from doing this. So therefore, I got to get you to do whatever I can, whatever I have to do to get you to do what I, I want you to do. And, and I think as humans, we're kind of wired that way. And as educators, we're taught that way. As a student, that's how I was taught, which is why... I had an awful experience um, because I couldn't sit still. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't encouraged to ask questions. Matter of fact, I was told to quit asking questions. So much happens, right? And we have to connect with ourselves and go, why did I just, why did I feel that way? I remember some conversations with the staff, like there would be a disagreement and it would make me feel some kind of way. And it was the same idea of getting adults to comply that would get me dysregulated 
because I'm like, why don't you just do it? I'm, I'm the principal. I'm like, whoa, like, wow, where did that just come from, right? So I think it's all keeping ourselves in check in that idea of we're all human. And I think grace, what you said earlier, is imperative right now more than ever. Um, mm-hmm. Grace for ourselves, grace for our students, grace for our colleagues, and grace for our administrators, you all. I hear, I hear so much oh, frustration and anger towards administrators, and I get it, you all. But man, if we could just give some pre-forgiveness and grace, it could go a long, long way. So what do you see? I mean, what, do you, what would you hope would be the mm-hmm. next steps um, for this work? Like, what do you see the next steps being if you're talking about radical change? So I, I really feel, and I don't want to put myself out of a job here when I make this statement, but um, <laughs> the change comes from within a district. The change comes from within a school. And yes, we bring in programs and we bring in speakers. We have seminars and presentations. And it, and that's so significant to help begin the shift. But I really, you know, we talk about the adult nervous system, schools and grade levels and departments carry collective nervous system states. You know, we can see a third grade team functioning just, you know, in a shutdown and mobilized collapsed state. We can see central office in a school district in this hypervigilant, hyperarousal state. So, it, you know, Resma Medicum from his book, My Grandmother's Hands, and you heard me say this in Australia, settled adults have settled students. So we really need to be aware of how we, as the adults, can um, carry this emotional contagion into our classrooms and to really begin to model not so much the behavior, but the, the affect. And, and something that is really coming up all the time right now for me when I speak with schools and districts um, is this another radical change is the way we look at consequences. And I talk about this in both books. Um, you know, the very first thing that I thought of as a mom when there was a behavioral challenge in our home was, okay, is this consequence going to be uncomfortable enough or painful enough for this behavior to stop? It's the same thing in classrooms. And so we've got to begin to think about consequences as experiences. What experiences can I provide for this student to feel relationally safe or am I creating more fear-based responses? And, and, and so, the, you know, that's really significant, Matthew, um, because when we are willing to co-regulate with the child so they can access the cortex. This is where we do school. This is where we do life, right there behind our eyebrows. When, when that child or adolescent, and when I am functioning from here, then I can, uh, I can give my nervous system to that child to help them, you know, to find some steadiness while we repair the rupture. And that's a radical change. You know, rupture and repair are a normal cycle in our lives. But oftentimes in our schools, our kids come in with rupture after rupture after rupture, and there's no repair. And the repair often does not happen with the adult that the rupture was with. 
So that's another, I mean, we, we listed in our, yesterday I was in two school corporations and we talked about these four to five radical changes and they're systemic changes and they don't happen overnight and they happen from within and it's a process and it takes time. I love that you said that. Um, I, I work, I'm working with a couple of districts right now and um, anytime they say, will you come in? I say, sure. Um, and this is what I say, I'm not going to give you any answers. I'm not bringing the solution. I'll bring what I know, I'll bring my experience, but I will help facilitate the conversations. I will facilitate the planning. I know how to map it. I know how to do all, but it has to come from within it. And I agree with that. And, and when I, when people say, will you come in and talk for an hour and a half? I absolutely will. But no, that isn't going to make any difference other than it's going to maybe get some people fired up. I always call it the, the congregation or the choir. It's either going to get the, the choir singing or the congregation feeling. But that doesn't, that that's not enough to shift, right? Shift is that process that takes so long. And when I do work with districts, I say you have to plan two to three years. This isn't just a one PD, two PDs, three PDs, four. This is you have to have a team. You have to come up with problem solving. You have to do incremental change. You can't change it all at one time because we know what that does to nervous systems, right? Even if we know what we're doing isn't working, you can't come pull the rug out because then it all collapses, right? And I had to learn that the hard way. I, I realized that change was happening too fast. And I had an amazing team that was vulnerable enough and confident enough to come up with our relationship and say, uh-uh, it's moving too fast. Like, We've got to pause. And I appreciated that um, because mm-hmm. there is a, there is power in the pause in this work, just like there's a power in this pause and checking in ourselves. Sometimes you got to pause and check where you are. Let's let's talk about um, next week. What are you looking forward to at the ATN? Um, I'm looking forward to your keynote. I've heard you speak a couple times, but it's like every time I hear you, I just get something new. So t- what are you looking forward to? Well, I you know, thank you for asking me that. I am very excited to share just the growing applications of the research. You know, and I was talking today with um, you know, the Polybagel Institute, and, and I write about this in the new book. We're really looking at the application of blended autonomic states. You know, our, oftentimes, you know, we're just not in fight flight or we're not just in shutdown. Um, and I'm going to talk about this during the keynote that kids that get called on that don't know the answers, or when you send a kid out in the hall, that looks, oftentimes the behavior looks disrespectful, apathetic. Um, The behavior can look um, oppositional or defiant, but what's happening in a blended autonomic state is what we call tonic immobility. It's where your heart's beating fast, but you can't, your your head's down, um, you're stiff, you know, and, and you, you're, you're kind of just immobilized and, and I, or you you pull your hood over your head, you put your head down and you don't respond and we're not excusing the behaviors, but, um, you know, understanding that that nervous system is there to protect what is perceived. And that's a key word, you know, as, as a survival threat is critical. Um, and Matthew, this is interesting, and I, I I will bring this up this weekend too. We had a guest speaker come to Butler th- in our graduate classes this week, 
and I want to give her a big shout out, Brooklyn Ramey. And um, she's a former middle secondary teacher. And um, she wrote a book called, my gosh, where is it? One Trusted Adult. And um, she is, she, do you know her? Yes, I met her and I have her book over there. I'll grab it yeah. while you're talking, but I'm listening. Okay. Yeah, so, um, and, and so she just really, um, she said something that I, I just, I thought about and I reflected upon and it was about the adult nervous system. And she said, you know, one of the things that has, has happened this year that has caused such fatigue and overwhelm in us as teachers and as administrators is that we have not boundaried ourselves and the accessibility um, has felt overwhelming. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is really critical and it's empowering for teachers to hear. So I really wanted to share that tonight too, Matthew, because she called it, there's a, that's it. And she said, there is this beautiful um, kind of overlap between being boundaried and accessible. And so when we boundary ourselves, we can provide, we can validate, we can provide emotional safety, but we're not therapists. And, and so, and, and this is, you know, we can provide guidance. We can help a child see their strengths and their passions and their interests, but we can also provide guidance into, you know, what other people are supportive. And, um, and another interesting um, article that I read this week, and I think it was from the New York Times, is that many of those trusted adults in a building are the same teachers and they are feeling overwhelmed. Um, it's not 15 or 20 or 30 teachers, but it's the same, the kids go to the same three, four or five or six teachers. And that is exhausting. Crystal, my co-teacher at Bellzer Middle School is one of those teachers. And um, and she, she said that to us in class even before I had read this article. So, wow, I went off on a tangent, so sorry about that. But we'll be talking about that at the conference, um, you know, this weekend as well. Well, the good news is you're supposed to talk on this. That, that I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be you talking. But yes, I got to meet Brooklyn. And for those of you who are not watching this live, um, the title is One Trusted Adult. Um, it has a tree in the upper right corner. It has uh, orange lettering, orange, like light blue and light green. Check it out. Um, I got to have a conversation with her. I actually invited her on the podcast. So that reminds me. You're going to have to mention it to her and I'm going to have to mention it that she needs to come on here uh, and talk. Yes, uh, but yeah, you're. it's... You're so right, right? Is there's just never, never once are do have I ever felt like I needed to be a therapist? And I was very fortunate to be in a school that had a community mental health provider and a licensed social worker and a licensed school counselor who also was a licensed therapist. So we had a great team. Now I had to build that over time. That didn't happen at the beginning, and I knew there was a certain point in which it 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 did not the student did not need me. But I also knew I could always be a safe person, always be a safe person for students. Not all students found me to be safe, and that's okay. I didn't take it personally, okay. right? Like, that's there was one student I remember. If he saw me, and I don't, I, I don't know if it's just me, if I did something and I wasn't aware, he would escalate. And so 
I didn't respond to him, right? There were some kids I could walk in and all I need to do is go, oh my goodness, hey, come chat really quick. That's all they needed. We walked and talked or we sat and did fidgets or we just whatever, right? And I think it goes to the, and I've said it before on this podcast, is I don't know if you know Dr. Karen Treisman out of the UK, but she has a quote that um, that says uh, every intervention or every interaction can be an intervention. And that doesn't mean intervention like we're trying to change behavior. We're trying to, it just, you don't know how that interaction could play out in someone else. Just like I've had interactions with parents. They had no idea how much it meant and how much it regulated me to hear them say what they had said. It's not about me as a principal. It's not about an educator. Any interaction can have that therapeutic process. Dr. Bruce Perry said it on here too. Never do we want educators to feel like they have to be therapists. That's right. Never, but we absolutely can be therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, as, as we move forward in, into this work, I feel like the pandemic has opened a door um, that... You know, we have this incredible opportunity um, to really cultivate some of these radical changes. And again, I want to define um, radical um, in the way Angela Davis has defined that. And that is, you know, looking at the root. So it's not this big progressive um, shift. It is really getting underneath the behaviors, it is getting out in front of the behaviors, and it is really leaning into the resiliency of the nervous system. Because not only do we hold trauma logic, we also hold, Matthew, this beautiful um, healing and repairing um, possibility. And our, I, I love what Donna Jackson shares in Childhood Disrupted. You know, we are built to wobble. Um, not to break. So, and and if you have, if you all have not gotten um, her new book, uh, Donna Jackson Akazawa, um, her new book, uh, Girls, uh, Girls, Girls on the Brink. Brink. That's it. Um, and if, for those of you who don't know, I actually have. I'm on another. I'm a co-host of another podcast called History, Culture, Trauma, where we did get to talk to uh, Donna Jackson last year, and I hope she gets to come back on. Um, but she's got a lot of amazing work in that book as well. It's interesting that you said that quote because just today I posted this on the Trauma Informed Educators Network. Another quote by Angela Davis, which is, you have to act as if uh, if it were possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. And I think so many of us live in that space of like, I'm insanely optimistic that 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 transformation can happen. Um, and it, I may not see it. It may not be in my lifetime. It may, it may just be what my child, what my grandchild gets to experience, but I truly believe that transformation can occur. And I think Angela Davis has so many, she also has the one I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. This is where we are all living right now. Right. And I feel that there are spaces and places where the organization is beginning to happen and conversations are beginning to happen, but we also have to validate we're on the front end of this transformation. And sometimes it's, it's hard to re- remember that where I've spoken in you, I know you probably have too. I've spoken in districts and, and cities where I ask how many of you are aware of the ACES study and only 10% of people will raise their hand. How many of you 
um, are aware of the impact of trauma. Very few people will raise their hand. And so we have to continue to remind ourselves this is not, everybody doesn't have conversations about this all the time like we do, right? I mean, I have it every day that in the job that I do, I have it every day in, in, the, in the social media that I look at. And so it's really important to know. We don't have but about 10 minutes, and I do not want to miss the opportunity for you to brag on your child. And for that matter, I mean all of these remarkable these remarkable pieces of art that you got to work with your own family on. And if you all do not follow Dr. Desitels on social media, the graphics that you have been posting about adult uh, regulation the last couple days are like, I feel like they're straight out of Harry, like a, a, a mystical Harry Potter book on like adult well-being. They are remarkably engaging for the brain and the mind and the eye and the heart. But tell us how that, how this came about, how that you got to work with uh, your remarkably talented family on creating some of these um, graphics that are just, they're, they're remarkable. You know, I, well, first of all, thank you, Matthew. And I want to say that it was never something that we planned. Um, Reagan is my youngest and, um, and she and Sarah both, um, and, and Andrew as well. In fact, Andrew's the one who, you know, sends me a text every morning and checks in with me and how was your day mom and is so interested in every aspect of this work. So, but Reagan, um, she really was kind of reading the book. She said, mom, I really want to read the chapters as you write them. And I said, Reagan, I would love that more than anything because I would love your input. Um, and so she started reading the chapters and then, and then she, you know, kind of started sketching and her fiance, Alexis, who, um, you know, they both are in Mexico. He is Mexican and, um, and they, he's a graphic designer, he's an artist, beautiful artist. So they began collaborating and, um, and they started creating these images that brought the words to life and, I really wanted these images in this book. It, the three of us, Alexi speaks very little English. I speak no Spanish. So it was really um, a collaborative effort in how we interpreted, um, you know, the words, how we interpreted the images. I mean, we, we would sit on Sunday afternoons for a couple of hours, you know, Zooming together. Reagan would translate for Alexi's. He would draw. So I just thank you so much for asking. Um, it has been the joy for me as a mom. I can't even tell you to sit beside my daughter and to, you know, to collaborate with her um, on these images. They're remarkable. She was actually able to bring them um, to life. Like I, I couldn't, you know, we would talk about it. But when I saw them, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I was blown away. And we also, I, I, I want to share that these are not in the book, but um, the images that are in the book are QR coded so that when you, you know, when you QR code them, um, it takes you to the colorful images that are on the website and all the templates and the resources are QR coded as well. So, um, and then we, this week, and I'm going to show these at the conference, we took each of the four trees, the pillars, and we created a hollow in each of the trees. And it, and it really, again, Reagan and Alexis brought those four pillars to life 
because I've always, since I was a little girl, I love to imagine what's in the hollow of a tree. And so that is, um, I'm going to be sharing those. And they just went up on the website tonight. Yeah, I, I, as a, as a parent, I can't imagine the, the pride and energy you must have gotten from that experience of working alongside such a remarkably talented daughter and her fiance. I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope I get that experience um, because I can only imagine just how synergistic it was for, for her as well, right? And for all of your kids to be able to be a part of this journey with you, um, such an amazing opportunity for them too. And I can only imagine um, maybe some art teachers looking back and going, "Oh my goodness, look at this!" Right? I think about I think about every time I see a, an artist or a performer or a, a scientist, I think there's a teacher out there going, "I knew it!" Like I knew that this was that they were going to do this. Like I just knew it. And I've got some kids that constantly are in my mind and heart going I can't wait I can't wait to see what they're going to do because um, to be honest most of the kids that I've experienced at school um, and I just posted yesterday my heart gets it's been almost a year March 7th will be a year that I've stepped out of the principalship and it warms my heart every time I get a message from a parent or matter of fact I messaged three tonight with pictures that I found getting ready for my presentation at the ATN of they're now in high school and some of them were itty bitty when I first started. So it is just so impactful. Somebody said, Sandy Lerman just said, art is so healing and it is. And that's right. Visuals are so engaging to your mind, to your heart. Um, I know when I got to see the color ones, um, I got lost in them. Like I really started looking deeply into them and thinking about the context of the words that you wrote. And boy, was it, um, it was therapeutic. And it was healing for for myself to just think about how how much went into that. So um, we have a few more minutes left. What else? What else do you? I mean, what else? What else is radiating with you? I've got so much I could talk about, but but what do you? What 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 else do you feel like we've got to discuss this? Oh, Matthew, I just you know I I really feel um, you know as as we reflect on where we've been. And, you know, coming through this global pandemic mm. and possibilities and the hope that, um, you know, are abound right now. I just I feel like we're all positioned to really sit beside each other. Mm-hmm. And and I think the new book reflects that because I brought in a in every one of the chapters. I want to really highlight the contributors. Dr. Um, Justin Springer um, wrote, you know, each each of the chapters filled with a personal narrative, Penny, Gregory, um, you know, uh, Jen Hoff and Sarah Guest. Um, I can't believe I remembered all those names because I'm kind of nervous. I was hoping I could you remember. Knocked it but, out. You knocked it out. Oh, this book is about all of us. We all wrote this book. And, um, and I was very intentional about including the narratives at the end of each chapter, in which I did in Connections Over Compliance as well, because it's just not um, about one of us. It's, it's really the force that you and I talked about before we started tonight. You know, we, you and I said, we, you know, it's important that we stay in our lanes. You know, I'm a, re- I'm a practitioner. This is a clinical therapist. This is a psychologist. But together, you know, together 
we can bring about the collective change. So thank you for that. I I love I I love that the book is was really written by so many people. Well, and Dr. Lori, I don't know if you've heard, but um, Dustin, I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but if you all want to know D- Dustin's uh, Springer's secret name, we're actually in a um, a newly formulated boy band. Mind you, we're all in our mid-40s or older, um, and we all have stage names. So if you're interested, come see us at um, the ATN. We will share that with you. If you are a presenter at the ATN, I will be wearing my boy band uh, track suit to the social. I have committed to do that. It's already packed. Um, so look for the guy in the blue track suit that looks very dressy um, because that's important. So shout out to Dustin. I'm, I love that you that you um, that you brought in those perspective. And Dustin has an amazing one as an active principal right now um, and an unapologetic disruptor. And he has the tattoo to prove that so anyway what uh, uh how do people get a hold of you if they want to follow your work they oh and one more thing you have to tell them about is the 180 days that you have created um that is available for purchase um please tell them that how can they find you how can they find that um and then we will close out okay well matthew thank you first of all for just a, an inspiring conversation and the 180 day Applied Educational Neuroscience Scope and Sequence really supports adults. I want to emphasize that. It's not just for kids. It's really for administrators to begin to get out in front of, um, you know, the staff. So it's, it's, it's the bell work. It's the morning meeting work. It's how we end the day. It's transitional. And um, it's not scripted. It is really, you could take one day and stretch it out for an entire week, but it builds engagement and it really um, gets out in front um, of the behaviors, uh, you know, through it, hopefully very um, engaging and inspiring um, practices, strategies, and resources. So, and everything is at revelationsineducation.com. Revelationsineducation.com. So if you want to follow Dr. Destel's work, Check out that 180 days, the the, um, the the resources that she has there. I think what I m- most appreciate about you is you share. And, and, and I know a ton of work went into that 180 days. And for the cost that it is, it's minimal for the amount of work that, that went into it. And all of the things that you provide at no cost is so appreciated. Um, as a practitioner, I remember you sending me things, and I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to use that. Um, so thank you, uh Make sure you follow Dr. Destels on all social media. Obviously, she has a last name um, that if you type her first and last name in, she's the only one that really pops up. So make sure you follow her. And then also, um, if you go to the ATN conference, come by our booth. I think we're number nine. Uh, We've got some new little stickers made with the Trauma-Informed Educators Network. We're going to be giving away um, lanyards if you want to disruptors. I don't know if that's upside down or not. Yes. Disruptor Unite Lanyards. And then, of course, um, as you can see in my shirt, I wear it every week, Unapologetic Disruptor t-shirts, and we've got the little hashtag Disruptors Unite and TIE Network. Um, we're going to have that red and white. We have it in gray and black. There it is. And then we have it in black and white. So come um, and get your Disruptors Unite. Um, and I always say we're disrupting in hope. Um, because we have to disrupt with hope. And it is that there is a way, there is work that we can do differently. There is paradigms we can shift. Um, it's not hopeless. 
Um, so we need to disrupt in hope. So be an unapologetic, unapologetic disruptor and join us as Disruptors Unite. And as always, I can't thank you all enough for always coming and listening. I checked the stats last week and last week alone, there was almost 4,000 listens of the podcast. And that to me, um, it just makes me smile and very proud um, to be able to provide something that connects to so many people. So as always, as always, please, oh, please play that song again. There we go. As always, please, please, please go out into the world and do something absolutely awesome.